Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to set her in on verse 16. But for context, let's read a 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore. You notice the the repetition there. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I just say this by way of interpretation. Uh, That above all doesn't necessarily mean the most important thing. It means along with all of these, take this too, you know, is what we're talking about. So above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel of which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, that's a famous passage. And uh, it would uh, be difficult for me, and I don't even want to attempt it, to try to preach that entire passage in a message. You know, um, That's a lot there. And we would be so surface skimming that I'm not sure there'd be a lot of profit in it, although I'm sure it's been done and done profitably by, by others. But... Um, I want to center in on the shield of faith this morning. Take up the shield of faith, as we found in verse 16. Now, I preached uh, through uh, Ephesians 6 before, the the Christian in armor. Uh, William Grinnell, he wrote a book um, called The Christian in Complete Armor, and it's about that thick, you know, and uh, he obviously is dealing with a lot of things from the entirety of Scripture that has to do with this. And uh, it's, an, it's an excellent book. I would recommend it to you. Written in the 1600s, still profitable today. Well, the shield of faith is what we're talking about today. And in the ancient world, Roman soldiers were everywhere. You know, That was part of how Rome controlled everything uh, in, around the Mediterranean. And people knew the soldiers. They knew their armor. So what Paul's talking about, the Ephesians knew quite well what an outfitted uh, soldier looked like, an outfitted Roman soldier. They knew them, they knew their armor, and they feared them. Paul knew up close and personal all about Roman soldiers. He's often chained to them, you know, so he knew. Well, the shield of faith. You've recently seen riots in our cities and in the streets of our country. At times it seemed, in some places, like maybe uh, civilization itself was in danger. And uh, thankfully, things have settled down some, but there's still many, many problems. Police officers are called to stand between the rioters and their citizens that they protect and their property. And um, I doubt any of you are probably afraid of the police. 
you probably are not afraid of the police. Uh, but, um, you know, everyone was afraid of Roman soldiers with good reason. And you might even remember Jesus saying, if they come to you and uh, make you take their pack for a mile, put it in English, go two miles, you know. And so there was a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of upsetness there. Well, the police of our day, I think we can look at them very differently. The police have helmets for obvious reasons. They carry guns, not swords like we see here, but uh, rarely use them in a riot, instead opting for less lethal weapons. Uh, they have other kinds of protective gear, like bulletproof vests that they wear. And unlike the way people used to fear the Roman soldiers to control the people and keep them down, our police officers, except for a, a very few bad apples, uh, serve and protect. Now, you've probably seen them during riots, when you've seen them on TV, with large, sturdy plastic shields. That's really good for protection when stones and bricks and other items are being thrown at them. But um, the Roman shield is something very, very different. And it's even very different than, than what you see. The, the shield that Paul is talking about is different than what you often see in gladiator movies or what you often see in, you know, uh, you can buy armor for play armor for children. That's the our whole armor of God. And they can put it on and they can wear it. And that's just a lot of fun. But uh, this armor, this shield here, is the thuron. Thuron sounds like the Greek word for door. Okay. And it basically is like that. You know, it's a rectangular shield made out of wood usually, covered in skins and put together with bindings like that. It's about four feet by two and a half feet. So this thing's huge, you know, that the Roman soldiers had. And uh, it was a great protective device. It struck terror into the hearts of the enemy. It wasn't like that highly mobile shield that you see that moves around like that, you know. This is a big, bulky, protecting shield. And he could crouch behind it. And it covered his whole body. So the enemy may be shooting flaming arrows. They could dip the shield in water. Fires would be extinguished. And the soldiers were trained to use these shields to their best advantage when attacking a city. Uh, they could line themselves up side by side uh, with these huge shields and just march forward, march forward, march forward. They could even take the shield and, and put it over their head if they're attacking a city with walls and they're shooting down at them, they could flip it up like that and uh, look like a, a mighty, some historians call it like a mighty marching tortoise coming forward and being protected, you know. So there's the whole idea of the shield. And uh, while alluding to the shield in a few moments, we will do that. I'll make some final applications about the shield and faith as we can close today. But turn to Hebrews 11. And let's talk about faith now. The necessity of faith. And of course, if you're going to talk about the necessity of faith, well, Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter, right? So it makes sense that that be a place that we would go. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Those are the ones that went before. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Okay. First of all, I'd say by way of observation, is you cannot be saved without faith. And two aspects of this can be seen from these verses that we just read. We must believe in the existence of God, that he is, and in context it's vital to believe that he's the one who created the universe. We see that in verse 3. And we know that truth is under constant attack by our secular society. So while it's good to study evidences of creation, ultimately it's not the evidence of creation that we find that convinces us, but the testimony of God himself and his word, which proclaims the truth continually, that he is the creator. And it takes faith to believe that God is the creator. You can't put God into a laboratory and undergo scientific tests and make a proof like that. But we must believe him, and we must believe in his existence. And second of all, if you notice in verse 3, we must believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we read of Abel, we read of Enoch, and if we read the rest of the chapter, we would find heroes of the faith over and over and over again, examples of faith, examples of those that uh, lived their life in faith and have now received their reward. But I'll say one more thing about faith. Faith must have an object. There needs to be an object to your faith. It, it is no good, as many people do, to have faith in faith. You know? Faith in faith isn't true faith at all. You know? And um, in these last days, as the Bible calls the days that we live in, in this new covenant time, it's revealed that the object of our faith must be the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. Faith has always been in God, you know, and now it's been specifically revealed that we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God on our behalf. Because all our hope is in Him, all our trust is in Him, all of our confidence must be in Him. He's the one ordained by the Father, so to speak, uh, on our behalf. Now, what is faith that I'm talking about? It's a sure hope, it's an absolute trust. It's confidence in him. Do you have that perfectly? Do you have perfect faith? Perfectly formed faith? Do you have a faith that never wavers? Nobody's saying yes. I've seen anybody saying yes that they did. Well, you know, the heroes of the faith of Hebrews 11 didn't have a perfectly formed faith either. 
They did great exploits, but it wasn't perfect. We even have some of, for some of them, the times of their failings recorded for us in Scripture. How would you like to be in Scripture with your failings showing through for all the people of God for the rest of time to know and to read and hear about, you know? We don't have faith in our faith. Faith is the gift of God. Faith is given to us by God. It's not something natural. It's something supernatural. It comes to us by the Holy Spirit in regeneration. Saving faith is something that is not possessed by all men. And it's something that we on our own cannot produce. We can't produce it in ourselves. And we can't produce it in others. We can come up with all kinds of convincing arguments to try to make other people believe. Unless the Holy Spirit works in their heart, they will not believe unto saving faith. We cannot reason anyone into heaven. We cannot stir up the innate goodness in them. Why can't you stir up the innate goodness in somebody else? They don't have any innate goodness. You know, that's, that's why. It's not there to try to stir it up. Lost man is blind, he's deaf, and he's dead in trespasses and sins. All that being said, faith is vital to the Christian life. Faith and repentance are the first signs that someone is a child of God. Faith and repentance are the first visible signs that someone is a child of God. Which brings us to a crucial question. One that I hope you know the answer to, although I wouldn't ask you to say it out loud. Which comes first? Regeneration or faith? And it's very easy to think, okay, a person has faith, and then God changes their heart and saves them, which is backwards, okay, backwards. Which comes first, regeneration or faith, you know? Uh, Ask your friends that question. It'll tell you just about everything that you need to know about their doctrine. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, gives us a new heart, creates faith in us, and we freely accept Christ as he's offered in the gospel. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. And as R.C. Sproul would say, what's the matter with you people? You know, he loved to say that. You know, that's one of the things he'd say it about when he's asking about faith and regeneration. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do we need a shield? Why do we need a shield? It's the shield of faith. It's given to us. It belongs to us as Christians, those that know God. Why do we need a shield? Turn this time to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. Why do we need a shield? The reason we need a shield is because Satan is real and his attacks are real. We saw that in the previous verses about the principalities and powers and And, of course, all of that. Just another passage here. Um, Satan is real. His attacks are real. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 
Same idea that we saw, principalities and powers in Ephesians. But now we're, the devil's compared to a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I've used the illustration before, but it's been a long time, you know, because this happened a, really kind of a long time ago. There was a, a famous uh, act that uh, played in Las Vegas, I think, uh, almost exclusively in Las Vegas. Uh, Siegfried and Roy, you'd see them on TV sometimes, and uh, they had lions that they, or tigers, sorry, they had tigers, is who they, they um, took care of. And, um, you know, a terrible tragedy happened, um, almost bound to happen sooner or later under such circumstances of the things that they did. For some inexplicable reason, uh, one of the tigers attacked Roy and wounded him so severely that the Siegfried and Roy show was over. Couldn't do it anymore. He didn't die from his wounds right away. Uh, he lived on for, oh, probably another 20 years. I'm just off the top of my head. But he was really seriously, seriously hurt. And, and some reports said it was amazing. The tiger just went crazy. But if you think about it, the tiger didn't go crazy. The tiger went tiger. That's what tigers do by nature. The tiger did what a tiger does, okay, and attacked Roy. And it was horrible and it was terrible. But I give that illustration because Satan is a dangerous enemy and he will attack us. Okay. Dangerous. So resist him steadfastly in the faith, it says in verse 9. Resist him steadfastly in the faith. We've already seen that faith is the shield, the shield of faith. Resist him. It's the same exhortation as stand fast. We saw that twice. Stand fast. Dig in. Don't back down. Another passage says resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know. So faith isn't just some ethereal thing, a belief in something. In fact, um, faith can't be true faith without an object, as I've said. Faith includes what we believe, but the Lord Jesus Christ has to be the object of our faith. Now, here in Peter, it's holding firmly to the faith, refusing to deny it, resist him, very much like Paul's exhortation to stand firm. The ancient historian Eusebius tells us a true account of a young girl named Biblius. She lived in the days of persecution. There was persecution where she was. She was persecuted. And under persecution, she denied the Lord. Okay. The pain, suffering, it was too much for her. But her tormentors weren't satisfied with that. They then wanted her to blaspheme the Lord. She denied the Lord. They wanted her to blaspheme the Lord. And they began to torture her again. And the way Eusebius writes it, he says, under the torture that she endured, she woke up. That's the good way of being woke. <laughs> she woke up. She became sober, as it says in 1 Peter. Be sober, be vigilant. She denounced her denial and confessed Christ. And Satan had overextended himself. He had tried to devour her and instead got her to confess the truth. Just an illustration, but a true illustration. And she bravely died for her faith as a martyr 
instead of denying the Lord. Okay. Faith, the shield of faith. So let me take it out. This is just a, a one-time message. Pastor Ken will be going back into the book of Judges again next Sunday morning, Lord willing. Just, just off on vacation today. So I pulled this out as a one-time message to you. That's why I'm centering in on faith instead of all the armor of God. But faith is comprehensive. I said, uh, you know, along with all these things, take the shield of faith. Faith, like a shield, protects us from attacks. Faith, like a shield, protects us from attacks. And the attacks come in various forms. The head. Okay, there's some armor for the head, isn't there? How does Satan attack the head? He attacks the head with false doctrine. He attacks the head with wrong ideas about God. Faith used properly will protect us from heresy. Who should trust God more? Who should believe God more than the person who knows and is convinced from Scripture that God is in absolute control of all things? It should be a great comfort to us. When we know theology, when we know our God is revealed in the scriptures and are able to withstand by faith satanic attacks, then we can stand strong. But let me ask you this. Do you ever have doubts that God is real? Do you ever have doubts that God is good? Do you ever have doubts about the scripture? Well, don't despair. And don't conclude that you can't possibly be a Christian and have such vile doubts and thoughts. Once again, take up the shield of faith and confess and believe. Paul said, I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. Did Paul ever have doubts? I don't know for sure. I would imagine sometimes he had some dark moments in prison. But I do know this. In Acts 27, on a boat that appeared to be going down into the sea with everyone dying, the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Fear not, Paul. Now why would the angel say, Fear not? Unless there was fear. That makes sense, logically. And then Paul was strengthened, and he was able to strengthen those by God's grace on the boat to listen to what he said. A prisoner, one that was basically in chains, so to speak, although he didn't have to be in chains on the boat. Where was he going? You know? But um, a prisoner that's being escorted to Rome to stand trial stands and talks to the other 270 on the boat and says, don't be afraid. God came to me and said that there will be no loss of life as long as you do what I say. And the captain of the ship listened to him. Everybody on the ship listened to him. And the boat ran aground, and it broke into pieces, and it just so happened to do so near a little island, you know. And so, boom, they swam or floated on pieces of board to that island. And you can read that account in Acts 27. Well, our faith sometimes falters. But if you have the root of the matter in you, 
as given to you by God, I can assuredly tell you that you will persevere because of perseverance of the saints. And you may have faltering steps here and there. You may fall, but the just man falls seven times and rises again. You may have these types of problems, but you will make it safely to the promised land that God has given. That's the head. There's the arm. The enemy will cut at your arm to disable your service for Christ. You need your arm to hold your sword, the sword of the Spirit. You need your arm to hold your shield. But the shield, when used properly, protects your arm from the sword slings and flaming arrows hurled by Satan. How about the feet? The enemy tries to trip you up in your daily life. He tries to mislead you in the uprightness of your walk. Faith protects your feet and causes you to stand even in slippery places. How about the knee? Well, prayer is the way that it's put in Ephesians 6, talking about the knee. Prayer is vital to the Christian life. Satan loves to battle prayerless Christians. Now, ultimately, there's no such thing as a prayerless Christian, because every Christian prays. But, at the same time, none of us pray like we know that we should, and none of us pray as much as we should. You know, So we'll admit that. But Satan has other ways to discourage us, even in prayer. He whispers that God doesn't hear. He condemns our conscience with the things that we have done and such like that, be it now or past or whatever, makes us ashamed to come to God. We allow our minds to be distracted in prayer and to wander and meander. It's a tough discipline. Prayer is difficult. Well, that's the first thing we would say about faith compared to a shield. Faith protects us from attacks. Second of all, I would say this. Faith, like a shield, receives the blows intended for the soldier. Some Christians think that uh, faith will enable them to escape blows. If they had enough faith, they'd never be sick. If they had enough faith, they'd have not only plenty of money, but they'd be rich. You know? If they had enough faith, their problems would be solved, all of them. Let me ask you a question. Why would God give us armor if he didn't intend for us to go into battle? Okay, we're talking spiritually here. But why would he give us armor if there's not going to be a battle? Why have armor? Why have a shield if there's not going to be any fiery darts of Satan cast against us? The armor is given to us because of the battle. And faith can be hammered, and it can be pounded, and it can be battered. And blow after blow can rain down upon it. But if it's faith, if it's true faith, it protects. It protects us. God has not promised us an easy path to heaven. And if there was an easy path to heaven that's been promised, all of the saints before us have failed miserably because they didn't have an easy path to heaven. But we have a great God. And we can look to him by faith. And we can take the shield of faith. 
And God has not promised a road with no trials, and God has not promised a road with no battles. What he, is, what he has promised is a shield to protect you. Faith. Faith that he gives you. And all the blows intended by Satan land on it instead of landing on us. That's a great thing. Faith, like a shield, is strong. That's the third thing. Faith, like a shield, is strong. The disciples cried out, Lord, increase our faith. And that's the heart cry of a Christian. The encouraging news is, if it's true faith that's been given to you by God, and it is strong enough to accomplish his purposes for you, it's not simple belief. It's not just positive thinking. Any shield made by men is like a shield made out of cardboard. Okay? Now, you can have a cardboard shield that looks really good. You could fancy it up. You could dress it up. You could you know, make it look better than the other true shields that exist. It'd be light. It'd be easy to handle. It would look like a great shield until a fiery dart came through it. And it would. It would. A cardboard shield. Can you imagine? Here comes the flaming arrow. You know, televangelists praise faith. They talk a lot about faith. But if the faith they're talking about is not true faith, it doesn't matter how impressive it looks, and it doesn't matter how rich they have become. Kind of like a pyramid scheme. If you invent the pyramid scheme, you'll probably get rich. I hope you go to jail. <laughs> but if you invent the pyramid scheme, you probably will get rich. You're on top of the pyramid, and everything's going to flow to you. you know? Well, true faith may not look all that impressive. It may look battle-worn. It may have scars upon it. It may not be decorated as well as the cardboard one. But which one would you rather have when the fiery dark comes? It's true faith, real faith, saving faith, the faith that comes from God. And then the last point this morning. Faith, like a shield, needs to be used. All of the weapons that God gave us need to be used. A belt is worn. Okay? It needs to be worn. And, um, you know, a breastplate isn't maneuvered around, but a breastplate's been given to us. A shield is used, and it's active. So what do you do in times of opposition? You believe God. What do you do in times of temptation? You go to God. What do you do in times of need? You believe God. It's easy to say you believe God when everything's going well. True faith shows itself and stands the test when the going is tough. You, know, you don't need a shield if there are no arrows. But when the arrows come, Aren't you glad you have a shield? Okay. Now, remember how I said just a few moments ago the Romans banded together and joined shields to form a wall? And they could do that. We as Christians really do the same thing, spiritually speaking. We, we need each other. Why do you ask one another to pray with one another? The great apostle Paul 
asked us to, well, asked those that were his contemporaries to pray for him. You know, we join together, we pray together, we worship together, we confess our faith together. And just like the Roman army would put their shields together to form a wall, that's what we do when we pray together and pray for one another. A Roman soldier in the field is well protected. A Roman army advancing on the enemy with shield in hand was a terrifying sight. We have the promises of God that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Okay? Compared to the world, the church looks mighty small. Compared to the world, the, the church looks like it's failed and failing badly. You know? No. We've been promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And, and you know what gates are? You don't attack people with gates. Gates are defensive. And so the gates of hell are, are being attacked by the church. And you can be absolutely guaranteed 100% that those that are gods will be snatched from the burning and taken and joined into the family of God. The gates of hell cannot stop that from happening. Satan cannot stop that from happening. All his elect, all of God's elect will come to him without fail. So these things are true. But let me conclude with something very, very personal for you. Let me conclude by asking you the most important question you could ever be asked. Do you have faith? Do you have the faith that God alone can give? Do you believe in the only begotten Son of God? Are you trusting him for forgiveness of all of your sins? The Bible says, look unto Christ and you'll be saved. And if you're saved, keep looking to him in every situation all of your life. Prayer is not, I mean, salvation is not just a one-time prayer. It's a continual looking to God, looking to God, trusting in God until we're all the way home. And by his grace, he allows us to do that. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And what a rich passage that we've just skimmed the surface of. The weapons that have been given to us by you. The protection that's been given to us by you. And we see that the shield itself becomes a weapon allowing us to move forward and move forward and move forward in spite of opposition and difficulty and problems. The shield of faith, Father. And our faith is in you because simply believing or having good thoughts is not enough. There needs to be a ground to our faith. There needs to be an object to our faith. And the only proper object of faith is the Lord Jesus Christ who came to earth, gave himself died on the cross, rose again, and now, Father, is exalted at the right hand of God. And we know that he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit never fails. Lord, he reaches your elect. We hear testimonies of saving grace every time someone joins the church. 
All the testimonies are basically the same, even though the circumstances can be so different. But it's once I was lost, and now I'm found. And now I know. We thank you for that, Lord. It's been that way and will continue to be that way until you ordain to return. So may Jesus Christ receive for himself the glory. May we be those that have faith to believe in you and faith to believe that in spite of the way things look, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against your church and your will will be accomplished. We thank you for that. And help us to be active participants in that. Help us to be those that preach the gospel, that spread the gospel, that that care about the souls of others. For we have no way to know who it is that's the elect. We have no way to know where your spirit is going to land next, Father. But we thank you that we know he shall until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.